A fellow was at a cemetery and saw the most unusual procession he had ever seen. There was a pickup pulling a boat with a casket in it, followed by a number of long black cars carrying family. And so he commented to a fellow that was waiting for the procession to arrive. Man, that guy must have really loved to go fishing. And the fellow responded, oh, he still does. He's heading to the lake just as soon as they get through burying his wife. Okay, that was bad. That was bad. But it has a good point. You see, I hear all the time, well, people are just so uncommitted. No, they're not. People are not uncommitted. People are miscommitted. Everyone has a plate full of commitments. The problem is that we're often giving high-level commitment to low-level causes. And the hard task of discipleship is learning to align our highest passions with the greatest priorities of the kingdom of God. Because if you have a limited commitment to Jesus, you are not a follower. You are a fan. You may go to the occasional Jesus concert. You may have some Jesus music on your playlist. But in the words of Bob Goff, you're not following Jesus. You're just stalking him. Because if your commitment to Jesus is unlimited... It's going to take you to the same place that his commitment took him. To a cross. And so Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now listen to me. I hear all the time, well, Jesus went to the cross so that you wouldn't have to. That's not completely accurate. Jesus went to the cross so that you would want to. He went to the cross so that you would want to sell out your life to Him. Jesus calls every follower to make the ultimate commitment. Death to self. See, here's this paradox about Christianity. That salvation costs you nothing. That Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sins. You can't earn it. It is a gift. So salvation costs you nothing. And discipleship is going to cost you everything. That we teach that the death and the resurrection of Jesus has set us free. So that we can willingly choose. To spend the rest of our lives as slaves for Jesus. And there's no other way to explain what happened in the first century but this kind of commitment. Acts 9-15 through is the story of a community that was in one place and it was just one race. And in a few decades it had become a multi-ethnic Global movement. Because their commitment to the mission was unlimited. And no place makes that more clear than Acts 14. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit. 
going to preach a little bit, read some more, preach some more. And then when we finish the whole chapter, I'm going to come back with three commitments that could literally change the world for the cause of Christ. Now, let's set the context. Remember in chapter 13, the Spirit has called Paul and Barnabas to go on the first mission trip ever. They left the church in Antioch. They went up to a part of the world that we call Galatia. The first big city they went to was called Pisidian Antioch. Paul preached there, a lot believed, but some got angry. Because here's the thing we said. Paul didn't preach division. Paul preached Jesus. And Jesus divides people. Jesus makes you choose a team. So they got run out of town. Now you might think, well, that means the mission's over. Let's go back home. Oh, no. They were too committed to go back home. They just went to the next town. It was called Iconium. Verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. That was always their strategy. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. They spoke there so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews that refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Jews and Gentiles, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So we see this every time Paul goes to a city, there's a division. It says the city was divided. You had some Jews and Greeks deciding to believe and follow Jesus and some Jews and Greeks coming together. And by the way, it's kind of interesting There's two things that can bring people that are different together. Because Jews and Greeks never got together on anything. But in that town, some got together on Jesus. And some got together on sin. Because people that can't agree about anything else can agree to sin together. And so they got together to decide to uh, have a plot to mistreat and even to stone them. Because the presence of commitment doesn't mean the absence of resentment. I'll put it this way. If you sell out to Christ, you will bring out the worst in the enemies of Christ. But hostility didn't produce passivity. My favorite word in that whole uh, text was one of the words, so. There was opposition, so. Paul and Barnabas stayed there a considerable time and preached the word of God boldly. But being bold doesn't mean being dumb. They heard there was a plot on their lives. Now, they weren't afraid to die, but they weren't trying to get killed either. And you know, this still goes on. Do you know, right here at our church, we have sent missionaries to some parts of the world that are dangerous. In the last several years, there have been times where we've had to say, hey, you guys got to get out of there. It's not safe to be there right now. You could die if you stay there. Literally. And they've had to go back and wait. Until there was safe to go back. Because we're not trying to be uh, cowardly, but we're trying to be wise. And so Paul and Barnabas left Iconium and looked for the next open door. It was a town called Lystra. And in Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul and he was speaking. 
Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. You see, Paul and Barnabas don't speak the Laconian language. Uh, they're not sure right away what's going on, but when they figure it out, well, just read for yourself. When the apostles heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, this is so interesting to me because this is the challenge some of our missionaries have. A lot of our missionaries go to places in the world where people don't have a Bible, don't even know the story of the Bible. You notice it doesn't say they went to the synagogue because there wasn't a synagogue in Lystra. There weren't enough Jews to have a synagogue. Now, in the last town, Paul preached and four different times he quoted from what we would call the Old Testament, what he would just call the scriptures. But in this town, he can't do that. He's got to adapt his missionary strategy. So what he did was appeal to nature. He said, think about the earth and think about the heavens and think about the rain and think about your crops. Who do you think is doing all this? We've come to tell you about this God. You see, creation is a wonderful missionary. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Paul said in Romans 1 that the creation gives witness to the whole world. There's a creator. Science and faith are not enemies. The more we understand the world, the more we understand there's design in it. There's order in it. Non-life didn't produce life. Something didn't come out of nothing. So Paul said, I've come to tell you about this God that so obviously has given testimony to his existence by all that you can see around you. You see... Paul always studied his culture. In one town, he might start with the scripture. In another town, he might start with nature. He goes to Athens, he's going to start with their poets. So the starting place could be different, but the destination was always the same. He was going to wind up talking about Jesus. And Jesus always divides people. So verse 19 Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. I don't even feel worthy to read that. They stoned him. They dragged his limp body outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day... He and Barnabas left for Derby. And by the way, I have to think that's a supernatural healing. I mean, they, he was so battered and beaten, they thought he was dead. And the next day he goes and walks to another town. I just think the disciples gathered around him and prayed over him and God healed him. You know, if people are so fickle. One day you're a God, the next day you're a goner. And as those stones hit Paul, I wonder if his mind flashed back to Stephen. Back in Acts 7, 
a man named Stephen preached and got stoned. And Paul stood by and approved of it. And now the stones are hitting him. You know, missionaries will tell you they love their life, but they'll tell you it's hard. They'll tell you there's lots of tears that come with the joy. When Paul got home, he wrote back to these people. It's a book we call Galatians. And in chapter 6, he said this, I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. It's not the first time he's going to be physically beaten. He's going to be beaten with rods. He's going to be tortured. I think at this point, I'd give up the mission work. I think at this point, I would hear God's call to go home. But Paul and Barnabas are just too committed. So they go to the next open door, a town called Derby. They preach in the city. And they won a large number of disciples. And then they return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. You see, one of the sure signs of the committed life is perseverance. When you are committed, you don't quit just because it gets hard. And their commitment gave credibility to what they preached. Because they didn't preach a health and wealth gospel. They didn't go to these towns and say, hey, follow Jesus and all your problems will go away. No. They said, follow Jesus and they may treat you like they treat us. It's with hardship that we enter into the kingdom of God. And they did something else that good missionaries do. They left. They didn't stay and build a church that depended on them to stay to keep existing. And we do the same thing with our mission works. We do not send any of our missionaries to another country say, your job is to go build a church building. Your job is to make disciples. Your job is to go into your homes and to your neighborhoods and to start churches of the people that you know. That says they committed them to the Lord. It's the Lord who's the head of the church, not the missionary. And so they came, they made and they grew followers of Jesus, and then they left. And so it says, verse 26, from Italia they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They've been gone about 18 months. And so when they got back, they couldn't wait to give a report. This is so cool because it's what we're going to do tonight. All the church got together because the church had sent them. The church had supported them financially. The church had been praying for them every day. So they came back. We want to tell you what God used you to do through us. And they said, we want to hear it. Just like we're going to do tonight. So they all got together. And they gave God all the glory. Because they're kingdom partners. Now... You might question the worth of a mission. Okay, let me get this straight. Harsh travel. You got violently sick. You got run out of town after town after town. You even came back with bruises and limps and physical abuse. That sounds like a closed door to the uncommitted. But Paul said, oh, I wish you could have been there. 
I'm not saying it was easy, but it was so good. God was opening doors of faith. There are people every city we went now that are following Jesus. And you knew while he talked, he couldn't wait to go back. And he did. Because to the committed, the door is always open. And the potential for the harvest is unlimited. Now this is our mission. It's why we exist as a church, to make and grow followers of Jesus. Not just here, but we want our wake to be huge all over the world. What's that going to mean of us? What's that going to demand of us? Let's look at three examples of what real commitment looks like. First, notice they were committed to making disciples who make disciples. It says that after they got to Derby, they decided it was time to go home. So they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Now, wait a second. That's not the fastest way back. That's not the most direct route. And besides, do you remember what happened in those towns? You remember they ran you out of Antioch? Do you remember in Iconium they had a plot to kill you? Do you remember in Lystra they almost did kill you? They left your limp, unconscious body on the ground. Why on earth would you go back to those places? Here's why. Because the rest of the verse says, Strengthening the believers and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Because Paul and Barnabas knew their orders. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make decisions. He said, go make disciples. Remember those orders from Matthew 28? Go. By the way, Jesus didn't say anything about you have to come back. He said, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, in the last year... Hundreds of people have gotten baptized at our church. I'm talking to a lot of you right now. Please understand, your baptism was not the destination. It was your initiation into the way of Jesus. And now it's your job to learn. And it's our job to teach you how to follow Jesus in every part of your life. In your finances, in your sexuality, at your job, in your family. How to love people, especially the ones that are hard to love. It is to learn the way of Jesus. A way of salvation that costs you nothing. A way of discipleship that costs you everything. And it's not an easy way. But it is a way that makes life so meaningful. Because you know you are spending your life on something that is going to matter for eternity. Just ask Timothy. Yeah, he was this young guy that lived in Lystra where Paul got stoned. Timothy saw it. So did his mama and his grandmama. And when Paul comes back a couple of years later and says, I want him to come with me. And he may never come back. And they may do to him what you saw them do to me. And his mama and his grandmama said, go son. Why would they do that? Because they had become disciples. They didn't just make a decision. 
I read just a few weeks ago a missions uh, website where a man named David Jones told a story. He was not long ago in China. And he was translating from Mandarin into English for some Americans there as a Chinese pastor gave his testimony. And the pastor said that 10 years ago he got arrested for preaching about Jesus. He was given a two-year prison sentence. He had a brand new wife pregnant with their first baby. They had barely any money. He goes to jail. After one year, the authorities say, you are released on good behavior. And he says, but of course I couldn't go. And David is translated and said, what? You didn't leave prison? And the pastor turned and said, how could I leave? I had brought over 20 inmates to Christ and I had not discipled them yet. And so he stayed another year in prison to make sure these new believers grew strong in the Lord. And he didn't do it frowning or feeling like it was a burden. It was a joy to him and to his wife to make disciples. That's commitment. That's the mission. To produce people that can produce people. To make disciples that can make disciples. And you cannot achieve such a high level goal with low level commitment. If we're going to be a church that makes a difference, we've got to sell out to making disciples. And we've got to be committed to taking none of the honor due to Christ. Paul and Barnabas were committed to making much of Christ. Not much of themselves. In fact, Paul got more upset about getting worshipped than he did about getting stoned. Now, we live in a culture that worships self, that embraces the worship of self. We live in a culture that has a narrative. It's all about you. How do you feel? What do you think? What's your truth? How can you be happy? And into that culture, we bring a different story. It's not about me. It's about making Jesus famous. And we've got to be committed to a different story. I told you earlier this year a story that still stuns me. My friend Max Takedo told me he was in North Carolina at the Billy Graham Retreat Center. He and a well-known Christian artist named Michael W. Smith were planning an event that night, but Michael was distracted. He wasn't concentrating. So Max finally said, what's up? Michael said, I can't help... Uh, to think about this morning. And he went on to explain that Dr. Graham had asked Michael and Dr. Graham's local pastor to come to his home to plan his funeral. And he made one request. Would you please not mention my name? At my funeral, would you only mention the name of Jesus? This is a man that has preached to a billion people on every continent. He's known every president for the last 60 years on a first-name basis. And at his funeral, he only wants Jesus to be mentioned. And I thought of what John the Baptist said. He must increase. I must decrease. We've got to be committed to making Jesus famous. Which means we've got to be committed... To forsaking our lives for the mission. James Calvert and his party were the first group of missionaries to go to the Fiji Islands. 
It was reported that cannibals lived there. When they arrived, the captain of the ship tried to keep them from getting off. He said, sir, you get off this ship and there's a real good chance those savages will kill you. And Calvert replied, sir, you must understand. We died before we came. I told you that Paul wrote the book we call Galatians as soon as he got home. He sent it back to those churches where he had just been. There's a verse in there that's pretty well known. But I want you to listen to it for a different lens. You're in Lystra. You get this letter, this book. And you remember, Paul. You remember the bruises that stayed on his back for months. You remember the open wounds. You remember wiping the blood off of his face. And wondering if that gash was ever going to close. And then you read this. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith. In the Son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Don't you understand Paul says. He did everything for me. My salvation cost me nothing. And now he gets everything. I'm dead to myself. How do you intimidate a man who's already died? That's what Jesus meant. Pick up your cross, follow me. The very next verse he says, because don't you get it? If you spend your life trying to save it, you're going to lose it. But you lose your life for me. And you'll save it. And it wasn't just talking about life after the grave. Here's what Jesus is saying. You know why so many of you are frustrated? You feel so burdened. Life is so hard. You are given high level commitment to trivia. You're spending so much time and energy and money on what matters so little. You want your life to be meaningful. You want to save your life. Then spend it on what matters. Spend it on the kingdom of God. Two things are going to last forever. People and the Word. Make high level commitments to both. It's the life of high commitment to low level causes. That needs to be forsaken. He's not trying to lead you into a grave, friend. He's trying to lead you out of one. You probably never heard of Coleman Mocker. Harvard grad. Went to work for Gillette. Eventually became CEO. Apparently he was very, very good at what he did because at age 61, he was on the cover of Forbes magazine. They gave him an advanced copy before he hit the newsstand. He walked to his office sewing it and all the people stood up and clapped as he walked, closed the door, collapsed, had a massive heart attack and died still holding that magazine. And the wake was very small. Is that what life's about? Is that the win? You see, I think the miscommitted life is the limited life. The life of low impact, the life that 
makes little difference. Is the life spent giving such tremendous commitment to such trivial things? And so I wonder if God is using this day in this sermon to ask you to realign your commitments. Are you praying for the harvest of God? Three weeks ago I asked you, could you just pray one hour for our missionaries? We gave you the sheet. A few minutes a day. And you'd have prayed an hour. I don't say this to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying if you haven't found the time, it's not because you're too committed. It's because you're miscommitted. What about your finances? Are you generous to the kingdom? Have you been praying about what you're going to do next week to support those missionaries and those church planners? Just like the people in Iconium, God has given us so much. We're not missing meals. We have so much to steward. And you could go. You could go to Haiti. You could go on a Let's Start Talking trip. You could. You could go on a CRF trip. You could. There's nothing that says you have to be under 40 to go. There's nothing that says you have to have a Bible degree to go. I know what I'm saying is kind of scary. I know that Sometimes we think about places where we need to go for Jesus and it's intimidating. Here's the thing. God's often got to get us where we don't want to go so that we can come who we say we want to become. So I'm going to give you a prayer. It's a high level commitment prayer. To start praying. You ready? Here it is. Spirit, lead me. For my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. And so as a young man, Billy Graham had much promise, charisma, leadership. A CEO of a major organization offered him a huge amount of money to leave the ministry And come work in the marketplace. Billy Graham turned him down. The CEO said, what's the matter? Did I not offer you enough money? Billy Graham replied, no. The salary is big enough. But the job is too small. You see, I'm a missionary. And the impact... Of the truly committed life is unlimited. So let's pray about it. So Father, I I feel like this was the word you gave me this week. This is the word I was supposed to share with this church. I hope I've been faithful. But now it's up to the Spirit to do something with it. It's up to your Holy Spirit to take this message and... Plant it in each heart in a way that each heart will ask, what am I supposed to do with this word today? Is there something in my life that needs to get realigned? Do I have a commitment that's out of, out of line with the will of God? 
And so, God, I pray that you would give us all the courage to do ruthless self-examination. Because we want our lives to matter. We want to do something that we know makes eternal difference. We want Jesus to be more famous because we lived. Show us what that looks like. For Jesus' sake. Amen.